welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Jen. And I'm Eli. And this week, we're going to cover... Aliens. More, more alien races. If you remember our first alien races episode, we covered the Nordics, the Greys, and the Reptilians. Reptilians. And the Anunnaki. Well, we also have covered the Anunnaki in another episode as well. So we thought we'd branch out and get some more. I think there's 31 known alien races. So we're going to cover a couple more here. They get harder to find information on <laughs> as you go down the list. But we've got some information for you on these guys. And some of them are, you've probably heard of. Some other ones are a little bit more obscure. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right into this. And we're going to start with Dave. Dave, what kind of aliens did you research? Well, I was trying to research... Like a specific type, like the Andromedons, which are a blue-skinned alien. But then I just ultimately wound up covering all types of blue-skinned aliens. Okay. Um, <coughs> so like blue-da-boo-dee-da-boo-da-da-boo-dee-da-boo-da-da-boo-dee-da-boo-da. I am blue if I would... How's it go? Blue, if I was green, I would die. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so some blue beings are delicate, appearing to have large to medium-sized blue eyes. Sometimes pupils are seen within them, and sometimes they are simply large and blue, or the same color as their skin. According to contactees, some of the blues have light blue skin that glistens or shimmers when the light reflects off their skin. The blue beings, like all other beings contactees are interacting with, have a typical humanoid appearance. One head, a torso, two arms and hands, and two legs and feet. Several stories mention humanoid alien races with a blue skin. These usually refer to Andromedons. The Andromedons were the blue race that landed in Florida in 1954, trying to persuade the U.S. government not to work with the Greys but instead to join forces with, quote-unquote, the Orban. This event is known as the Eisenhower Treaty. <coughs> this event is known as the Eisenhower Treaty amongst ufologist circles. Alex Collier, a contactee of the Andromedons, mentions some dark-skinned vegan races of the constellation Lyra have a hint of blue hue in their skin. The Hopi Indians also talk about a race of blue-skinned star people. The Sirius system in the constellation Canis Major might be inhabited by a race that has a pale skin that approaches blue. The tall whites of the gray alien race are sometimes reported to have a pale blue skin. Whitley Stryber himself describes contact with a light blue-skinned humanoid being. Then I found some contact D stories. Let's begin with Andromedons. Ralph Amagran, using the pseudonym Alex Collier, says he has had contact with beings that came from the constellation Andromeda. More specifically, Collier's information focuses on humans who originated from Lyrae and had a meeting 
followed by a conflict with reptilians from Alpha Draconis. There are also claims that he quote-unquote borrowed some of his information from Edward Albert Meyer. The beings Meyer said he had interaction with were said to come from beyond the Pleiades. And because of this, Meyer referred to them not as Pleiadians, but as the Plejarans. They're the false prophets. Pleiadians, unite! Concerning the blues, all of the information is written or copied word for word. Normally one to two paragraphs that trace back to Ralph Amagran, also known as Alex Collier. Collier says the beings from Andromeda are the oldest race in our galaxy and are very concerned about our future. They have light blue skin that becomes more white as they grow older. The average age of Andromedons is 2,007 years. Collier's contacts say in December 2013, we will cease to exist as third-density beings and move up to fourth-density. They say on March 23, 1994, an energy began radiating for black holes at the base of each galaxy to help in this transition. The contacts say the primate race was created by the Draconians and first brought to Mars, then Earth. Back then... Earth was closer to Mars and covered with ice. They say humans are part of a soul group, which they call Patel, which were opposed to the Draconian influence and have warred with them for hundreds of thousands of years. They say that Earth will be ruled by Draconic tyranny 357 years from now, which would be about 2352 AD, and have traced the shift of energy to our solar system at this time, which when this wrote was wrote was about 1995, specifically to the Earth, Moon, and Mars. The Andromedon Council agreed that all ET life should be removed from the Earth, Moon, and Phobos by August 12, 2003. They say there are only 2,000 original gray aliens, and most of them are on Phobos, which is a moon of Mars. Most of the other grays are clones, thereby supporting the hypotheses that the greys are dying as a race due to genetic stagnation and they are looking for new DNA to revive their race. If the aliens are not out of the moon by 2003, they will pull the moon out of orbit. They say our moon is an artificial satellite from another star system, the star Chata in Ursa Minor. Some quotable words the Andromedon said are, Quote, it is not so much the religion you believe in, but the reason you believe in it. And, the love you withhold is the pain you carry. Unquote. Pretty good quotes. Yeah. I would say I agree with those. Now, the Hopi blue-skinned star people. The Hopi do believe their ancestors were the Anasazi, whose ancestors came from the sky, which is where the ideal of star people came about. In the Navajo language, the name Anasazi means ancient people. No one really knows what happened to the Anasazi. Quote, Toward the end of the Anasazi period, they built and moved into the famous cliff houses, which seemed to provide great defensive capabilities. And yet, there is little or no evidence of violent conflict. 
abruptly. In 1300 AD, following several years of severe drought, the Anasazi seem to have abandoned their clift house dwellings and dispersed. Unquote. Does anybody else notice the correlation between Anasazi and Anunnaki? Mm-hmm. Also, I've seen those. Uh, or Anakim. Yeah. Seen those pictures of those buildings that are built into the cliffs. Take some serious freaking. Yeah, they're really fucking cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes some serious actual manpower to do that. It is assumed the Anasazi moved into different geographical areas and their descendants are today's Pueblo Indians, which just means any tribe or community that lives in Pueblos. Um, there is no mention of blue-skinned star people or blue beings of the Anasazi. In mainstream Anasazi historical accounts, the official Hopi website, the Wikipedia page for the Hopi people, or the Hopi Indians fact website, or on any other official website for the Hopi people. But one interesting non-official, and perhaps oral history-only account of beings with blue skin, comes from the well-known Hopi Apache Indian dancer named Robert Morning Sky. According to Morning Sky, quote, The blues are said to have translucent skin, large almond-shaped eyes, and are small of stature. The main issue of their teaching was pursue your passion, follow your own way, do your own thing. Don't be pressured into being anything but what and who you are. Unquote. According to Morning Sky, quote, Alien contact started about 1947 to 1948 with the Greys contacting the U.S. government to form a treaty with them. Another body of aliens arrived called the Blues. The Blues advised the government not to deal with the Greys, saying it would only lead to disaster. They told the U.S. to follow your own path. They said they would teach with peace and harmony if men would disarm and listen. The military said, no deal. So they left, but a few decided to remain and they stayed in northern Mexico and Arizona and made a treaty with the Hopi Indians. These aliens are known by the Hopi as star warriors. The Greys started monitoring the Blues, so the Blues had to flee the reservation and go into hiding, and a few of the elders went with them. The Hopi legend is that there were two races, the children of the feather who came from the skies, and the children of the reptile who came from under the earth. The children of the reptile chased the Hopi Indians out of the earth. These evil undergrounders were also called two hearts. Unquote. While Hopi mythology does mention extraterrestrials, not quite in the sense we are discussing here. In Hopi mythology, the blue star Kachina also referred to as Sequasaha is a spirit that will signify the coming of the end of the world by appearing in the form of a blue star. The blue star Kachina is said to be the ninth and final sign before the quote-unquote day of purification, which is described as a catastrophe or a world-engulfing cataclysm that will lead to the destruction of the earth. Now some do interpret the prophecy of the blue star Kachina as a reference to the arrival 
of extraterrestrial life. Dun dun dun. Chuck Roberts says, quote, A race of peaceable humans, some seven to eight feet tall, with pale blue skin and large wraparound eyes, which are extremely sensitive to light. These people may, according to some accounts, be allied to the Nordics and or the Blondes. They claim to be descendants of Noah, who traveled to the Western Hemisphere a few centuries after the Deluge and recovered ancient antediluvian cavern systems and technologies which have been abandoned in the subterranean recesses. They have been encountered mostly in deep cavern systems beneath the general region of the Ozarks, Arkansas, and surrounding regions. So they're in Oklahoma, too. Maybe. Because we've got some of the Ozarks (laughs) in our state. The tall whites sometimes are reported to have light blue skin. They are referred to as tall whites because they have white hair and normally wear white form-fitting bodysuits. Who's ready to hear the contactee reports? Aye, aye, Captain. Me, me, me. (laughs) Experiencer AJ in 1987. Quote, I always have blue-gray skin when I incarnate into the earth plane, unquote. So they change colors when they come to earth. Are they, are they chameleons? Maybe. Are they are worth the reptilians or from the same possible place. Or they are the reptilians in disguise and they're trying to portray themselves as a different race of alien being but really what gives it away is the fact that they are like chameleons and they shape or they color change and that makes them a reptilian. So what my sister is trying to say is that the brother disguised as a brother disguised as a brother disguised as another brother that actually is just basically a reptilian alien. Yeah. Well, quite possibly because Alan Larando from 55 miles northwest of Montreal, Quebec, Canada said, quote, Then the strange creature came at me very rapidly like it was flying. In three seconds, I was face to face with it, unquote. He described the being as a, quote, tall, blue-colored humanoid with a skull cap and blue eyes that had green centers, unquote. If I remember correctly, reptilians can be blue. Um, The skull cap... And then the green center eyes made me think reptilian on this one. Mm-hmm. So obviously mm-hmm. aggressive. Yeah. They went to eat your brains. Actually, yeah. it depends because there are also good reptilians. And the good reptilians want to save humanity, but are the, good, are the good reptilians trying to pretend like they are good so that they will gain our trust so that then they can eat us? Rabbit hole, stop. Too <laughs> late. <laughs> I fell into the reptilian rabbit hole long ago. <laughs> <laughs> She's still struggling to get out. All right, Alice. Paul Xavier Green describes an encounter on Saturday, the 17th of February, 1996, in London. Quote, I woke up suddenly at dawn and immediately felt a distinct presence in the bedroom. <laughs> Sorry, I just about spewed my soda. 
<laughs> I had heard it come into the bedroom. <laughs> We're twelve again. Oh my god! And I first thought it was our daughter. Outside, dawn was just breaking. Finally, puzzled at why my daughter had come into the bedroom so early in the morning, I actually opened my eyes. I looked over to my wife's side of the bed and was quite surprised to discover an unknown entity standing by the bedside. It was standing in front of the wardrobe, nearly facing us. Its entire body was giving off a soft, dull, bluish-white glow. It was not a classic gray. I was unable to detect the characteristics large black almond-shaped eyes you would find on one. This entity curiously had more human proportions. A small head with a distinctly pointed chin, a bald domed head, and a very thin neck. The blue man also had a barrel-shaped body and very thin flexible arms which it was waving around very slowly in a fashion that reminded you of Tai Chi movements. The glow it gave off may have made picking out any facial characteristics impossible. The entity was not menacing in any way. On the contrary, it seemed to execute an aura of peace. I am surprised that I did not freak out. The entity seemed to be glancing in the direction of my daughter's bedroom, which is across the corridor, when I first saw it. Almost as soon as I consciously registered its existence, the entity suddenly reacted, turning its head slightly towards me and then smoothly stretching out a hand in my direction, fingers wide spread. A pale yellow ball of light, not unlike a miniature sun sphere complete with minuscule solar prominence all around it, leaped from the palm of its hand straight towards me in slow motion. It hit me in the face, square between the eyes, and that was the last thing I saw. Suddenly it was broad daylight and the entity was gone. It was as if time jumped. I don't know what the entity whom I have dubbed Blue Man was, but I was not scared in any way, only surprised and unbelievably calm. Whatever it was, it wasn't anything I have read about or seen in any book or magazine. However, I am curious, what was it doing in our bedroom? Two things on that story. First, he described it as a barrel-shaped body with outstretched waving arms. He just saw a wacky, waving, inflatable-armed tube man or and dreamt about it. <laughs> and the mind does odd things. Yeah. Second, there's nothing more terrifying than your child quietly walking into your room and waking you up in the middle of the freaking night. <laughs> By just sheer presence yes. alone. <laughs> Our son did that to me the other morning. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Hi. <laughs> he just like slowly crept into the bedroom. And I, it was probably like a creak on the wood floor that I heard. But I shot up real quick and I looked at the door and he's just standing in the doorway staring at us. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> Creepy kids. Yes, he just saw a wacky wavable inflatable arm two men. From an article entitled... A new race of hybrids? Question mark? 
quote. On Oak Island? (laughs) (laughs) I remember looking at his face and his eyes were very similar to a human's, except they were a beautiful blue and a bit larger than ours. I looked at him and studied his face and head and saw that he had peach fuzz for hair along his scalp. I touched his face as well as the right side of his head where the ridges were, and I noticed where his skin was light blue. It glistened in places when the light shone on it. I saw that he had beautiful pale blue skin that glistened and almost sparkled in places. The skin on his legs, which were muscular like a human's, but not overly so, was more like a powder white color. (laughs) His large, throbbing member. His legs had hair that was straight and very uniform, different from the way human hair looks on our legs. The pores were perfectly spaced and uniform. Oh, yes. <laughs> Are you describing porn right now? What is, what Edward. Are they? It's, it's Edward. It's a fucking vampire. <laughs> and uniform, and each hair stood out the same length and was shorter than the hair on a human's legs. His torso was barrel-shaped. And he had a prominent ridge near his hips. (laughs) (laughs) This is alien erotica. So basically, he had a V, like chest, chest was like chesticle hair going down to his ball throw, but there was like a V, right? (laughs) He had a good V. So in addition to the prominent ridge near his hips Mm. that were similar to the layered bony area of his skull. God (laughs) damn. (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me, guys. I'm going to have to walk away from the table for a little bit. <clears throat> I need to go take a bath. Hold up. <laughs> a contactee who wished to remain anonymous described, quote, I held a male child who had white blonde hair and bl- pale blue skin. His skin was beautiful and glistened even in the dim light. This young boy was scared and was crying and told me he believed other ones were using him and would eventually kill him. Everyone around me was telepathic. I saw a woman there with dark hair and felt she was bad somehow. She looked human, and she was the one the little boy was afraid of. Unquote. Okay, so... Uh, you guys have all seen Race to Witch Mountain, right? Yeah. Okay. That movie pisses me off. And the reason why that movie pisses me off is because it's not about, like, you know, all the people that are in the movie when they go to that, that nerd convention or the alien convention, if you will. Uh, you know, how they're like, you know, I was abducted and this and that. The other thing it's how the aliens that are there, the two kids, are treated as if... Because one of the statements that pissed me off was, like, they landed in the U.S. and they don't have uh, uh, undocumented aliens, basically, is what they said. And undocumented aliens could literally just be anybody who is in the U.S. that doesn't have documentation, period. And that's what pisses me off. And, but this is this is kind of what reminds me of like all these kind of sit, sit, certain situations where it's like we don't know who's good or who's bad, or you know, like we have the situation between the grays, where we don't know which grays are bad, which grays are good. But even with that, maybe we've given them a reason to pretty much use us. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Honestly, that's one of the only things I could find us being useful for for any alien race. I mean, we slaughter each other. 
we don't take care of ourselves the way we should. We don't take care of our planet the way we should. I mean, we are literally parasites. I don't see anything other than breeding and food that we would be, or in, in labor, that we would be any good to any other alien race. I mean... Yeah. I mean, even the, the fact that, like, I mean, they bring up in the movie the fact that they're able to do all these things mentally, and the only reason why we can't do them currently is because we haven't unlocked those parts of our brain, which is still kind of true. We only use, yeah. what, 13% of our brain or something like that? 10%. 10%. So... Yeah. This was posted on the forum, Casiopeia... Quote, it was not an abduction. The entity appeared to be benevolent and asked for permission to come in and interact with me. It's a vampire. There was a very evident aquatic aura, for lack of a better description. A water vampire. (laughs) About it, which made me think it was related, biologically or otherwise, to water. And one of the things that caught my attention the most was its fin-like hand, unquote. Could be a water elemental. Mermaid. Do they need yeah. permission to come in? Oh, I don't know. That's all it all it said on the forum. Hmm. And then a lot of people theorizing on it after that. Mm-hmm. My next one is another who wished to remain anonymous. They described, quote, I saw a male with blonde hair standing and communicating with someone. He had an apparatus of some type attached to his back. It looked similar to a scuba tank, and he was either wearing a matching blue bodysuit or he had blue skin. The tank had a couple of tubes coming out of it, which were surgically implanted into his neck area. Unquote. That same contactee saw the blue... Um, extraterrestrial with shimmering skin again in 2018. Quote, I had an encounter with what I suspect was a Nordic or an Arcturian. He looked similar to the blue being I drew an image of a few years ago. Similar to what some refer to as a blue Arcturians, but his skin, if it was blue, it was a very pale glistening blue. His fingers were like the whites. Similar to ours, but very slender with pointed tips. He seemed positive, and when I looked at his face, he blinked slowly, and his eyes blinked like ours. But it was as if he had a nicotating membrane that went up and down instead of back and forth. His eyes were pale blue and a bit larger than ours. And when he blinked, I saw a glint of white. He came across as gentle and someone I wanted to get to know better, unquote. A contactee named Susan Chancellor remembered seeing three blue beings during one of her experiences. They were observed standing at the foot of her bed. They told her they could not keep her daughter from becoming sick. Her three-year-old daughter vomited that night, and after cleaning and caring for the child, she put her back in her bed. The following day, her three-year-old daughter told her mother that she remembered seeing unusual animals and said, quote, They were smelling me. Unquote. Her daughter drew a cloud over its head because, as she told her mother, they came from the clouds. She also described them as animals, but then explained that they were not animals and were not humans. 
The image Susan Chancellor drew does not show a lot of detail, so it's difficult to determine exactly what type of blue beings they actually were. They did not have ears, their bodies were short and roundish, and they appeared to have light blue skin. That one, I don't know. Like, well, I mean, all of them, I'm kind of like, eh. <laughs> but her daughter was sick, running a fever. Yeah. Kids say the darndest things. I remember a specific little child who might be sitting at this table and is not a child anymore, who was terrified of the raccoons that were jumping on his window in the middle of the night. <laughs> and he was scared to sleep in his bedroom for a long time because of the raccoons. It was squirrels. Squirrels? And then when I was laying on the couch in the living room, then it was the raccoons. <laughs> I was scared of the man outside my window because I had a bush there and my brother told me it was a man that watched me sleep. <laughs> well, what mine was was the shadow and of the tree in the backyard mm -hmm. on the window and then the front was of a tree in the front yard. Shadows are fucking scary for yeah. kids. Shadows are scary for adults. Yeah, but what I'm saying is if it was a sh running a fever. I've hallucinated while having a fever. Yeah. And, yeah. but I mean, I don't know. I mean, why, why, why should I undercut a three-year-old's point of view? Who knows? It could have been aliens, but. Which yeah. the, the mother also saw them. Yeah. You so. never know. Shit happens. Now, one of the most famous cases involving blues is that of Whitney Stryber's. This was portrayed in the 1989 film Communion. Starring Christopher Walken. Haven't seen it. In his first book, Communion, Whitley Stryber described these beings as, quote, short, stocky ones in dark blue coveralls. <laughs> they had wide faces appearing either dark gray or dark blue in that light. With glittering, deep-set eyes, pug noses, and broad, somewhat human mouths. So the skin, or unquote. Is he fucking orcs? So the skin was... <laughs> yeah, orcs. <laughs> orcs so, and overalls. <laughs> so, so Halloween we, costume for next year, Chad. <laughs> so either the skin was blue or, or maybe the light shining onto them was causing it to appear blue. Yeah. I mean, it was a blue light. I don't know. Um, in closing, these might be all different species or hybrids of several species. One thing is for sure, uh, contact with blue aliens is rare and so far non-confrontational. I do have to say it was hard to find contactee stories. I was Google searching blue aliens, then blue aliens minus avatar, blue <laughs> aliens minus avatar minus megamine, <laughs> blue aliens minus avatar minus megamine minus Cree. Blue. <laughs> minus Thanos. Well, Thanos is purple. Yeah. Minus Smurfs. <laughs> minus <laughs> Smurfs. And then all of a sudden, a picture of Alf shows up, and he's like, "He's not even fucking blue." <laughs> <laughs> hey, the blue aliens have been living among us, and they put on shows in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, the blue man minus blue man group. <laughs> so, those are the blue aliens. I'm not as interested to meet them as I still am the Pleiadians. I still, I'm still waiting for my Pleiadian abduction. Uh, Pleiadi. <laughs> um, Chad, what was your race of alien group? So mine's 
not much of a race as it is a collaboration. Okay. I was covering the Antarcticans. The Antarcticans is actually a collaboration between Aryan Nazis and reptilians. Oh, I see, I see. See, it's those damn reptilians again. Mm -hmm. All of it circles back around to the freaking reptilians. Do you see why I fell into such a deep freaking rabbit hole? She is so emotional right now, guys. (laughs) I'm telling you, I was... If you go back to our reptilian episode and listen, I got really into it. And it was hard to come out of it, and I felt dumber (laughs) for going there. Now, are these the alien... or? Sorry, are these the Aryans that are attributed to the Nazi party, or are these the Aryans that Madame Blavatsky described in the Secret Doctrine? These Nazis. The Nazis. This is allegedly a secret base in Antarctica. It's believed that after the World War, Hitler survived and actually snuck aboard uh, a submarine that first went to Argentina. Argentina. And then to Antarctica, where there is a hidden underground base where the reptilians and the Aryan Nazis work together to establish terror and a base of operations. It's believed the reptilians are actually mind-controlling the Aryans and were actually the reasoning behind the World War. They believe that the Nazis have created a disc-shaped ship that the reptilians use to travel. This underground base is called New Berlin, and it is where the Aryans and reptilians actually terrorize other worlds, other planet systems, and they use it as their base of operations. Um, The famous abductee Barney Hill (coughs) from our last alien episode, last alien races episode, he even said in his... uh, about his abduction, that an evil-eyed Nazis were among the greys that abducted him. Interesting. Now, with the Antarcticans, I mean, this is 100% conspiracy, and there's nothing truly behind this. But this is (laughs) fucking awesome for me, because I love conspiracies. And as soon as we were figuring out who was going to do what episode, or what race, and... Dave said Antarcticans. I was like, I want to cover the Nazis. <laughs> and then I look it up, and that's the first thing it says. <laughs> uh, so the reptilians have hijacked the Nazis. Yep. Now, now it would make sense because the reptilians are very, from what I hear, are very like Marxist in their beliefs. Well, the reptilians, <clears throat> the reptilians feed off of our fear and our anger. So. They like to cause dramas and they like to cause us to fight with each other and terrorize each other because they feed off of that negative energy. So it almost makes sense that they would collaborate and create a basically create a race of people who is hell bent on terrorizing other people. And keeping the world in constant turmoil and chaos—that's the—that's the reptilian agenda—is to keep the world in See, constant chaos. Here's the thing. See, Hitler didn't die in Germany; he just shed his skin, and then snuck out as a reptilian or under another out. Uh, if we go back to the reptilian episode, 
most world leaders are reptilians. Exactly. I know I did mention on a, I don't know what episode it was, how they did a DNA test on the bones that they thought were Hitler's that the Russians had. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it was determined that the bones they had were from two females. Yep. So it wasn't even the right gender. Told you. He just shed his skin and used that skin to cover up a female. And then he, you know, disguised himself as somebody else, snuck out, went to Antarctica as a boarding, sh- you know, stop, picked up some supplies, made it to Antarctica, is now in New Berlin, working on world domination. What's so dumb about that? Because I watched... Is it true? That is true? No. <laughs> What's so dumb about that is I watched the History Channel special over that, and it took uh, so many years for them to even allow somebody to do genetic testing over it because they were afraid that they were going to come back negative. Negative, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, and no one knows if it's the true bones that the remains yeah. anymore. Exactly. And yeah. on top of that, though, is they weren't even... Like, nobody that was allied forces to the Nazis even found them. Allied forces to the Nazis found them, then put them in the ground, and then I think set them on fire or something like that. Yeah. And how do you cover up murder? Or how do you cover up visual? A fake death? Shit. You set them on fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, I don't know. I've always believed that Hitler, Hitler escaped fucking Germany. Like, yeah. I do too. Like I'm saying, he went to Antarctica. And he joined forces joined with the forces reptilian. reptilians. Or already was a reptilian. Started in New Berlin and is working on world domination. <laughs> it's going to happen. It makes total well, sense. It, it's crazy, though, too, because like, I forgot what his name is. Um, but the angel of death that was part of the uh, Nazi group. What's his name? Um, the starts with an M. Uh, fucking, I don't remember his name. Matt. Last podcast did uh, a whole episode on him. Yeah. A, a series on him. Um Yes, I know you're talking about yeah. the mad scientist. Yeah, the mad, literally was doing like uh, mainly focused on twins. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, is like the one who made the Scarlet Witch in uh, Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that situation there is like, I mean, you saw how easy it was. Joseph Megala, Magdal, Yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, but you saw, like, you saw how easy. I mean, it wasn't easy, but you saw how easy technically it was for him to get the fucking. South America. Yeah. Like, I mean... Well, I mean, like that's actually one of the largest conspiracy theories around the Nazis is that they went to Argentina as a stop point, stopping point and then, like, there's, there's like, two or three uh, History Channel documentaries about uh, Nazi bases on Antarctica. Mangala. 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 Oh. I don't know Mangala. why that was so hard to come up with, but... Joseph Mengele. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, I'm sorry I connect those two, but like seriously, I, I feel like if it was that easy for him to get out, it would have been easy for um, Hitler to get out of that base that was surrounded. Yeah. So. Shave the stash, walk right out. Yeah. I do know that they don't provide satellite imagery to it like Google Earth yeah. or MapQuest or anywhere like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've also heard that there's storage there with. Like if the end of the world happened, like there's like the storage of seeds and all that to repopulate the earth. Now they do do satellite imagery of like the bases that are there on the yeah. the tip of it, where because it, it's like a kind of like a big circle and it has like an arm that comes off of it. Yeah, where all of our little 
research stations and stuff are. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, Google, like Earth, doesn't even photograph the oceans. Yeah. Unless there happens to be an island chain there or something. Yeah. So. So, All right. So we've got the reptilians and the Nazis. Eli, what do you have for us? The green children. Little green people. Jack and the Beanstalk. Okay. <laughs> Once upon a time. Oh. Oh. A tale of the green children dates from the middle of the 12th century in the realm of either King Stephen or his successor, King Henry II. In Suffolk, England, according to the medieval chronicle chroniclers, two green children weeping, in, weeping inconsolably were found wandering in a field. Seized by reapers, they were taken to the nearest village and held in captivity at the home of Sir Richard de Calm, where local people came to gape at them. According to William of Newburgh, the children were clad in garments of strange color and unknown material. They could speak no English and refused all food offered to them. A few days later, on the brink of starvation, they were brought beans cut off or torn from stalks, wrote Abbot Ralph of Cogshall, who allegedly had the story from Callan himself, who was responsible for the claim that the boy and the girl traveled a long journey by passages under the ground. The children broke open the beanstalks, not the pod or shells of the beans, evidently supposing that the beans were contained in the hollows of the stalks. But not finding beans within the stalks, they again began to weep, which when the bystanders noticed, they opened the shells and showed them the beans themselves. Whereupon, great joyfulness, they ate beans for a long time entirely and would touch no other food. In British tradition, as some folk folklorists examining the tale have noted, beans are the food of the dead. Still, the boy and the girl were obviously not dead. So so they were just cracking the shells open and eating the beans right out of them without uh, purging them or anything. Yeah. Which isn't, is that, isn't that poisonous? Yep. yep. That would be um, how you make arsenic. Yep. Interesting. Is it arsenic? Uh, it's arsenic. Uh, no. no, it's sarin. Is it sarin gas? No, sarin. No. Uh, uh, what is it you make from freaking beans? Ricin. Ricin. Yes, ricin. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. <laughs> ricin beans? Ricin beans. <laughs> ricin beans. <laughs> Soon the children were baptized, and not long after that, the boy weakened and died. The girl learned to eat other foods and was restored both to health and to normal skin color. She learned to speak English and took employment and service to a knight and his family. She was rather loose and wanton to her conduct. Ralph and Cogshall wrote. She was rather <laughs> like like what in graffiti on the <laughs> on the wall of the, the tree. She is loose. <laughs> for call, a, call for, for a, a good yeah. time. <laughs> so her skin returned to normal color. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe wherever they came from, they were malnourished. Yeah, malnourished or maybe they only ate one specific food though, because that that can change your skin tone. I mean, if all you eat is carrots, you get an orange skin tone. Yeah, you know, you know carrots and like sweet potatoes and things. What, Chad? 
Trump. <laughs> Cheetos. His Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> Listen, we're going to build a wall. <laughs> it's going to be huge. All right? It's going to be huge uh, in Colorado, and we're going to make them pay for it. <laughs> Why Colorado, sir? <laughs> Did you not hear about his last speech? Oh, no. Oh, yet. my God. I quit listening he about it. He fucking said something about building a wall in Colorado. <laughs> I was like, motherfucker, <laughs> you're the you president. Colorado's not on the border of Mexico, right? <laughs> you got to keep this Wyoming south. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Good Lord. He's worse than George Bush. Well, George, we're not even going to go there. <laughs> That's a political podcast. Yeah, we don't yeah, have one of those. Yeah, we don't have one of those. Um, asked about her native country. She asserted that the inhabitants and all that they had in that country were of green color and that they saw no sun but enjoyed a degree of light like what is after the sunset. She said that as they followed their flock of sheep, she and her brother entered a cavern. On the other side of it, they entered a land of light and higher temperature than they were used to. Struck Struck senseless in Ralph's phrase, they lay down for a long time. Eventually, they heard the sounds of an approaching group of people and were frightened. But when they tried to return to the cavern, they could not find it and were captured. Sounds like a time slip. A time slip or literally the the generation. (laughs) Journey to the center of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you ever hear about people talk, if you ever hear about people talking about like, you know, there being... I don't believe this, okay? Well, I can't even disprove it. Um, I mean, I can, but not intellectually. I can just be like, that don't exist. Um, <laughs> but pretty much what I'm saying is people have a theory that the world is hollow, that there's another... The hollow earth theory. Uh, the hollow, hollow earth, earth theory. theory. If you ever, and I hate to bring up Disney, but if you ever seen the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth... That's literally where you know where they say dinosaurs still exist, and literally the the core of the Earth is the sun for that area, and there's vegetation, and there's water, and there's be- literally a, another world inside the Earth. Um, which but does how can that be if the Earth is flat? Oh my God! The Earth is a giant donut, Chad. Jesus, the hollow flat Earth theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Okay. <laughs> Don't forget about the flat Bigfoot theory. <laughs> oh, my God. In William of Newburgh's account, the children stated that their country was called St. Martin's Land. Its people were Christians. There was no sun there, but across a broad river, a bright, shining land could be seen. Eventually, it is alleged the woman married, bore 13 children, and lived for years at Lena in Suffolk. Newberg remarked, although the thing is asserted by many, yet I have long been in doubt about the matter, deeming it ridiculous to credit a thing supported by no rational foundation, or at least one of a mysterious character. Yet, in the end, I was so overwhelmed by the weight of so many content witnesses that I have been compelled to believe and wonder over a matter I was unable to comprehend and travel by the powers of my intellect, end quote. A modern writer, the late British folklorist, Catherine Briggs, observed, This is one of those 
mysterious, convincing, and realistic fairy anecdotes, which are occasionally to be found in the medieval chronicles. End quote. Another authority, science fiction historian John Clark, acknowledges the story seems strangely convincing. End quote. Now, St. Martin is the patron saint of beggars, wool weavers, and tailors. They said that they raise sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, it's fascinating. Well, I think I, I would believe that, that uh, time slip more than anything else. Because they could... I don't know. What about the underworld? So going back to like kind of the you know death kind of thing, but you said across the way there was a bright yeah. What if they came back from the dead? Yeah, they journeyed out of Hades. From like you got you got Hades and then you know heaven. They could see the bright light, but they weren't there. Yeah, and more proof that we live in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Or the land in between. Yeah. Or somewhere like Chernanog, like the land of the youth. Yeah. Yeah. They are children. Another recent chronicler, Paul Harris, speculates that the children were not aliens from another realm, but simply lost, undernourished children. A green cast of skin is uh, associated with food deficiency, who had wandered into flint mines in the vicinity of Thedford Forest near the village of Fordham St. Martin. Quote, perhaps from there, twilight of the thick woodlands, the children could see a less forested and therefore sunnier land across the river Lark. End quote. He, sorry, he writes, they may have spoken in English dialect unintelligible to the Insul 12th century farm workers of Woolpit. Critics, however, countered that geographical and other considerations rendered that reconstruction unlikely to be accurate. The theory calls for starving children to have walked more miles than they could have managed. Furthermore, no underground passages link Thetford Forest to Woolpit. As early as 1621, Robert Burton, author of Anatomy of Melancholy, suggests that, quote, the rest of the planets are inhabited, as well as the moon, it may be those two green children which speaks in his time that fell from heaven and came from thence, end quote. Newberg said no such thing, of course. He remarked that according to the general belief, they had come up with, they had come up from the earth. In the late 20th century, nonetheless, Scottish astronomer, science fiction writer, Duncan Lennar revived the extraterrestrial theory of their origin even specifying the characteristics of their home planet. Harold T. Wilkins, a a mid-century English writer of books of UFOs and other unexplained phenomenon, thought the children had wandered here from another dimension. He thought, and I quote, there is to speak a hole in the wall, or to vary metaphor, the occurrence of vortex and matter energy through which certain people may pass, and from which there may or may not be a return to the world from which they were, quote-unquote, teleported, end quote. The green children's fourth dimension from existence side by side with ours, it may also 
who can say, imply, that they had been teleported from the world in space beyond the Earth where men live underground. In any case, that the children were ordinary human beings as opposed to fairy folk, extraterrestrials, or visitors from parallel realities seems effectively undeniable. Unfortunately, the particulars that would tell us all we would like to know about them are lost to history. So literally everybody's idea or everybody's speculation at this table literally was brought up. Yeah. Alternate realities, them coming from Earth, them coming from the sky. Well, there is a race of gray gray aliens, but there's also a race of green aliens. So I don't know. I... It's an intriguing story. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, they say it might have been from a feud, a food, a, f- a feud, fluid? a food, a feud, a food deficiency mm-hmm. that caused her skin to be green. Because it also said that her skin stopped being green when she actually ate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Hey, there's a race of chameleon aliens, by the way. So We're throwing that out there. What? So what I'm thinking, though, is that if it was from an alternate dimension, maybe their foods consisted of something else or add an additive in there that would make their skin a different color. Yeah. Yeah. As they started to eat our food, it would transition them to a... It could have even been in the sunlight. It's been a long time since I've read the book Wicked, but there was something about in that where they were talking about how Elphabelle or the Wicked Witch, why, why she was green. Like There was this race of green people. In, in that book. And I'm sure that if you read the actual Alice Wonderland, I'm just jumping books. Um, Wizard of Oz, he may talk more about the green people. I don't know. Now, there's also probably more shades of green than any other color I can think of. And this doesn't really describe if they were like forest green or like lettuce green, you know, like if it was like a light green or like a really deep, rich, dark green. They were baby so. poop olive hunter green. That's really specific. Were they? I don't know. I'm oh. just making shit up. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting enough, though, uh, on hey. here, they literally have, uh, there's a sign in Woolpit. Suffolk, England, depicting the uh, green children. And it shows 1977, Woolpit, and it literally shows, depicts the two kids. Interesting. And sh- a sheep. Um, I'm looking up what can cause green skin. Hypo- green? <laughs> yeah. Hypochromic anemia, which is pretty much black of iron. Mm-hmm. So they could have had a very iron deficient diet? Yeah. Yeah. They could have been the world's first vegetarians. Vegan. Vegan. Vegetarians, vegans. Um, so we've got the blues, the Antarcticans, the greens. The greens. I'm going to go with a more common alien species. I've got the insectoids. I always thought praying mantises were aliens. I really meant that. And I really think this proves it. Some researchers have considered mantids as a possible example of an early form of intelligent life on the planet Earth. But this is only one theory of the origin of these creatures. 
insect beans appear within mythologies throughout the world, including Native American and African folklore. A tribe in Africa specifically regards the mantis as the first living creature upon the earth who granted life to animals and humans, inventing languages and, br- and bringing fire to the people. It is even said that the mantis created the moon as a guide for hunters by throwing a gallbladder into the sky. Oh my goodness. Insects embody a quality of otherness in their demeanor and appearance. In this lack of mammalian attributes tend to alienate and upset human beings, leading to death of many of Earth's insects. While the mantis is easily the most human-like anthropod, there exists a deeply rooted fear of the otherness that is generated when a person encounters such a creature. Yes, they freak me out. Could this be a human reaction? Could this human reaction explain the common experiences of paralysis that the mantis beings induce when contacting earthlings? The possibility that paralysis as a precautionary measure against the overwhelming human urge to destroy the other. It cannot be discounted. It's very fascinating. Now, some believe these extraterrestrials come from the Draco system, working hand-in-hand with... Reptilians! Reptilians. Goddamn draconians. By far the most striking aspect of the mantis alien is a physical kinship to that of the praying mantis, the carnivorous and bipedal insect of its namesake. Many reports of these beings, uh, many report these beings as being six to seven feet tall with long, thin torsos. Their neck, arms, and hands have additional joints, and their heads are insect-like and triangular with large slanted eyes of deep brown or black. If I came in contact with a six-foot praying mantis, I would just crumple in the floor and cry. Shit, I've seen ones that were a foot tall before. Ugh. And it's like, oh, you're going to me away from you. <laughs> most of the ones we have around here are maybe like two inches at the most. Mm-hmm. They still freak they're me out. They're all fucking cool, though. They're, they're yeah. cool, but they, 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 they wig me out. I don't like them. Um, although we buy the mantis eggs all, every year. Oh, we bought them a couple of years for our garden because they eat other insects but most mantises are described as dark brown but others colors such as green and black have also been encountered their bodies are composed of segmented exoskeletons and some abductees have reported that the mantis seem to be coated in an oily substance mantis often encounter are encountered wearing long robes in a variety of colors perhaps signifying rank while some are unclothed they're all lubed up <laughs> <laughs> and ready for some action. Although the mantis tend to communicate with humans and abductees using telepathic messages, they have been witnessed engaging one another in an auditory language. Several, several contactees have described the mantis language as a series of clicking sounds engaging between the creatures, which would make sense for insects. Insects tend to make chirpy clicking noises. Some experiencers state that the mantids, mantids are also shapeshifters and use technology to create a field around their bodies to make them appear human. The common abduction scenario, the mantis tends to be the overseer and often appears in a leadership position, position of power during an abduction. Generally, the mantis is accompanied by several small gray aliens who seem to do its bidding. 
These small greys are assumed to be a drone being controlled by a hive mind and utilized by a variety of alien races. The mantis is commonly involved in abductions that include medical procedures and instances of interrogation. The perceived motivation of the mantis is regarded in regards to human abductions is somewhat mysterious. Some contactees describe the creature as positive, uplifting beings who seek to protect humanity and the earth. One common thread found among many abduction scenarios is centered around the use of holographic projections as a mean of education. Um, so you get abducted and you have to watch a slideshow. <laughs> our country and Russia both use dolphins in the military. Yeah. Um, and dolphins have a hive mind and they are also gray. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Abductees often report mantis and mantis beings showing them holographic, holographic images of destruction of the planet earth to illustrate the possible negative impact our spe- species could have upon the planet. Others have reported increased psychic abilities post-abduction. Most experiencers claim that the mantis seems to possess an uncanny ability to put abductees at ease, offering telepathic words of comfort and eliminating fear of an encounter. She had no shit. They're like, like, I don't understand why it won't come down. (laughs) (laughs) However, some return from their experiences with the mantis with a darker point of view stating the mantis wished to conquer and control the earth rather than aid the human ascension and human ascension. Some believe that the mantis hibernation program is currently taking place using human DNA to create new species. Some abductees report a presence of tall blacks, a creature known to be a hibernation. Experiencers describe these beings as an incredibly tall and more humanoid than in, humanoid than insectoid. The black skin, extremely long limbs, and extra joints on their appendages. These abduction scenarios are very similar to those involving the mantis aliens and seem to evolve around medical experiences. Most chilling features of the tall black encounters by many abductees are their glowing red eyes. Regardless of the true motivation of the mantis species, their interest in human DNA and behavior is obvious based on the abductees accounts now this article came from gaia.com and it's by christina april i just thought it was a really good depiction of them now here are some actual encounters now she brings up a great point with like us versus the other yeah because like with the blues the blues are pretty much described as almost Mm human-like but with blue skin it's kind of like yeah they're they're nice they're benevolent and then the grays are kind of hit and miss because they're similar to us in body, but not similar to us in like head shape or eyes. Yeah. But then the reptilians are the malevolent ones because they're so far removed from from us. Yeah. They are the other. And then the insectoids are even beyond that. So that that's a great point that she makes. Mm-hmm. I really, I, that's why I thought that was a really good article to bring forward to it because it did touch on a d- bunch of different points. Now, before the night, before 1990, the UFO literature reported re- report for insectoid aliens. The only case was Mothman. 
1992, alien abduction researcher Brian Thomas claims a nurse acquaintance of his reported that during 1957 in Cincinnati, she encountered a three-foot-tall praying mantis-like entity two days after a V-shaped UFO sighting. The mantis-like creature is reminiscent of an insectoid type entity reported in some abduction accounts. He related the report to fellow researcher Leonard Seidfeld, who told him of two cases he had in his files where separate witnesses reported identical circumstances that took place that same year. Linda Howe, in the book of Glimpsed of Other Realities, describes some claims of alien mantises. The book includes a case of Linda Porter and David Huggins in 1988, Linda Porter remembered an abduction by an alien mantis, which she took, which she said took place when she was a child. In the same year, in 1988, David Huggins remembered the encounter with an alien mantis that he said took place in the 1950s when he was a child. The book also reported a case of Janine Robertson, who said that she had received a message by an alien similar to a mantis. According to Mrs. Rob, according to Miss Robinson, these aliens are a branch of greys. Afterwards, some fringe ufologists involved insectoid aliens in the UFO conspiracy theories. The skeptic ufologist Martin Kotmeyer argued that the phenomenon of the mantis aliens may explain be explained by the effect of cultural factors such as science fiction films where these beings are protagonists. Now, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of... Uh, I'm not a big fan of praying mantises. I think they're really cool. So they're actually my favorite insect. But they, yeah, they weird me out. Too. Like, I, I like them. They're really neat, and, the, like, they're cool to observe, but they, they do. They wig me out. Like, one time we had one on the front porch, and it just kept staring at me, and I'm just like, it's reading my mind. Like, <laughs> I've always thought they control. were aliens. Speaking of aliens, we've had some weird shit happen while recording this episode, like we always do when we do alien episodes. We had a loud bang earlier. We got up and looked. We couldn't find anything out of place. We couldn't recreate the sound. Don't know what that was. But our cat... Has been insane. He has been so freaking crazy tonight, running all over the place, jumping in the middle of the table. Staring at random things. He's been on crack. He has been following random things with his eyes, and then... The strangest activity of all is he came over here and wanted my attention. <laughs> that He's cat possessed. hates humans. <laughs> and he was over here and I'm like, have you been abducted by aliens? What the hell is going on with this cat? Whenever he, he goes crazy and he starts jumping around and stuff, me and Kylie say that he has a fairy on his back. He's trying to buck off. <laughs> <laughs> He's just acting really weird tonight. So... I think that's just part of our alien episodes. We're just going to have to accept, accept the fact that when we do an alien podcast, weird shit's going to happen. Yeah, every time. Yeah, he's every freaking super time. Super wide eyed and jittery right now. He is. He's like really. It looks like I'm the one who's had three energy drinks in six o'clock. <laughs> and it looks like he's had 12. <laughs> he's over, like right now, he's sitting on the couch just like looking all over the room, like frantically. He had five five-hour energy drinks, <laughs> and now he has an extra hour in his devil day. <laughs> yes, he's going to be keeping me awake tonight. Yay. <laughs> he's like all spat. I, I don't know what the hell is going on with that cat right now. <laughs> he's about to attack Eli. <laughs> he's like, bitch, I'll cut you. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's he's in crazy mode right now. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Alien Species. We will dig deeper into the Vault of Aliens later on and see what else we can find. Um, be sure to like us, follow us, message us on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at UMP Normalcy on all of those. Uh, join our Facebook group so we can all interact and talk about your alien abductions or whatnot. Um, our website is umpnormalcy.com. And we have a Patreon page at umpnormalcy at patreon.com. We will eventually get more contact or more contact, more content on there. We just, I, I don't know. We're bad at it. Yeah. We're bad at Patreon. But if you want to help donate to our podcast, there is a link on our website to Amazon that if you purchase, whatever you purchase on Amazon, we get a little kickback from it. So you're going on to order your toilet paper. Just go to our website, click it through our link on our website and we'll get a little portion of your toilet paper. Um, yeah, when, when you're doing your holiday shopping. Yeah, definitely for holiday season. If you go through that link. Also on our website, we have lists of all the books that we talk about um, or that we use as reference material. And if you click on the links, like you can click on the book and it'll take you directly to Amazon. And if you purchase the book through that link, then we'll also get a kickback from that. So very cool. You can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are if you've got any alien stories or if you've got an alien race you want us to cover, email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. And until next time. Keep digging.